1: You ever struggle with providence you know you're not the first and you certainly won't be the last but there are some answers found within scripture as we struggle with providence we'll take a look at that next here on abounding grace with pastor gary wagner Greetings in Christ and welcome. This is Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. We're continuing our survey of Job and we find ourselves in the middle of chapter 21. A message that our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, is simply entitled, Wrestling with Providence. It's something that is all too familiar with most of us, I think, if we're honest with ourselves. We struggle sometimes with providence, especially when it butts up against our own will, as it were. Let's check in with Pastor Gary, shall we, and today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
2: You cannot fathom the ways I'm working in every atom of the universe. You just need to trust my work and trust my promises and be silent and know that I am God who is working out all things for the good of those who love me. This is the only answer, and it should be good enough for us, beloved. But look at the US where men turn away from theology and where they adopt bad theology and bad views of God and of themselves and of the world. We uh, simply create for ourselves a hell on earth and bring misery to ourselves. So Job tells his friends, you should be amazed with me. Not judging me, not condemning me as a wicked man. You should be amazed with me. He says, let me tell you one other thing in verses 7 through 15. God's judgments are very often delayed. Now this is directly against what Bildad said in chapter 18, if you remember, and Zophar said in chapter 20. Joseph, Zophar, and Bildad, did you tell me that God always judges the wicked and never prospers the wicked? But if he does bless them, as Zophar stated, just kind of backing off a little bit, it is only for a while, but then he will judge them in this life. Isn't that what you said? Really? Verse 7. Haven't you seen wicked men who have lived a long and prosperous life and become old men and are mighty in power? Haven't you seen their children going up, continuing in their father's way? You tell me their children always die and are cursed. But that's not always the case. You tell me their houses always fall fall down, verse 9. But sometimes they're very safe from fear there. And God doesn't chasten them like... He does his own people. Verse 10, their livestock gives birth. Verse 11, their little children grow like a flock and they dance. Verse 12, a love music. We even see that today, right? The world always seems to be singing something. Maybe people can't, most people can't go on for even an hour without their tunes blasting in their ears. He says in verse 13, they spend their days in wealth, and they even die quickly. In other words, they don't usually languish in disease like you told me they would. Because of all this, verse 14, they say to God, depart from us. We don't need you. Religion, come on. Verse 15, prayer why? Repent, you've got to be kidding me, kidding me. Look at my life, I'm blessed, I'm doing well. Who is the Almighty that I should serve Him? You know, in all the book of Job, these eight verses are the scariest verses in the whole book, at least to me. They are much scarier than anything that Zophar or Bildad or Eliphaz have said about the wicked. Because to the degree that what Job says here is true, and I think he is correct, it means that God leaves wicked men, the non-elect alone, generally speaking. He gives them lives to enjoy his gifts. He doesn't warn them that his wrath is coming. There are some warnings from time to time, but Job is right. It is what our Lord Jesus said in his parable in Luke 16. God gives the wicked these things good in life, but they are not led. They are not led by the Spirit to chasten themselves over their sins. Their consciences are not troubled by offending God. They boldly challenge God as we see in our culture all around us with their blasphemies. In gratitude, we don't need you, God. Thanksgiving, we don't need to give thanks to some Lord. All these things say, we don't need you, God. We don't want you. We don't want religion. We don't need to pray. We don't need to repent. You know, I think there is, there is no worse judgment or any clear indication that a man is under judgment than when he doesn't feel his need for the Lord. When God does not Prick him so that he feels his sinfulness and his need to turn to the Lord. There is no worse judgment. But we doubt this. You know, the preacher says, I need to repent if I'm to have God's blessings. But have you ever thought? I know people who haven't repented and they seem to be blessed. The preacher and the parents says, you need to be careful about making friends with unbelievers. But some say, I find my unbelieving friends nicer. I find that those who may be Christians nominally have their faith more loose. And I find that they are more fun to be around. I have friends who don't pray very much, but they live in nicer houses and they drive nicer cars than those who pray. They even seem to be sick less and have fewer troubles in this life. You see, when we judge by the appearance of things, like Job's friends did, by men's outward circumstances, and we start thinking like this, it is very perilous. It forgets what Scripture plainly teaches, that the Lord does not judge His enemies in this life as they deserve, but is even long-suffering toward His enemies. But it also shows that we have forgotten that when we think like this, one of the basic truths of the Christian faith, we must walk by faith, not by sight. God says He treats His enemies with kindness. So what are we supposed to say to that? Are we supposed to envy them? No, are we to want easier life like they do? No, should we, we should fear for them and guard our hearts against the temptation of envying them. You know, this is the really strange mystery of God's providence. The heart of the whole book The heart of Job struggle when the Lord doesn't judge his enemies, when the Lord does not reward his children as it seems like he would. So what are we to conclude? When the the wicked, those who don't know God, though they don't love the Bible, don't confess Jesus as Lord, and everything seems to be going well for them, what are we to conclude? Are we to conclude? Well, it seems like they're just getting away with their wickedness. No, we actually conclude the opposite. When God does not judge his enemies in this life, we know that a judgment is certainly coming. And so we fear for them. And we pray for God to turn them to his mercy. And similarly, when we see a godly man suffering or sick all the time, or when we see the church persecuted, we don't conclude Well, there's no reward for obedience and faith. We conclude that our blessedness is coming, beloved, and is reserved for a latter day. You know, whose picture gets on the cover of all the glossy magazines at the store? Is it you and your family having family worship or praying together? Of course not. It is the lascivious, it is the whores, the celebrities, the athletes, the power brokers in the political world. And it's easy to look at this and ask, why am I afflicting my soul? I mean, look at these people, they're getting ahead and they're doing wickedness and yet the preacher's always telling me to love God, to fear God, obey God's word, be in God's word. But none of these people are doing it, everything seems to be going well for them. Job is struggling with this. So what are we supposed to do? Remember, God is reserving the wicked for judgment. No way do I want to envy them. I don't want to walk with them on the broad way that many people walk, the broad way that leads to destruction. God says, my children walk on the narrow way. Oh, yes, I'm going to afflict you. There will be chastening, but the goal here is to give you the crown of life and that you may be partakers of my holiness. Because as Job goes on to say in verses 13 to 21, wrath is coming. You see, Bildad and Eliphaz and Zophar say, no, wrath is coming now. But Job is wiser. He says, wrath is coming, but sometimes it is delayed. You know, no matter what you see with your eyes, you need to remember verse 16, a very important little verse. Behold, their good or their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. In other words, in their lives, God has put them where they are. If you are a wicked man, an unbeliever, an exalted, and powerful, and rich, and wealthy, having everything you could want, God put you there. If you see a true friend of God, poor and based, having only enough to scrape by, God has put him there. God is the one who puts men where they are. And here I think you see at some level Job's faith breaking out of this darkness. And no matter what it looks like, verse 17, the candle of the wicked will be put out. The day of judgment is coming. Their destruction is coming. God is going to distribute sorrow in his anger. Oh, they may laugh now. But verse eighteen They will be a stubble before the wind, and as chaff that the storm has carried away. Iniquity be will be laid out for their children. He has sown to the wind, his children will weep reap of the whirlwind. Verse twenty. He may live in pleasure, but his eyes will see destruction, and he will drink the wrath of the Almighty. And in his house, there will be no pleasure left in it when he is cut off. Isn't this kind of an interesting back and forth? So which is it? Are the wicked, as Job described them earlier in the chapter, fat and sassy? Or as he describes them here, cut off? and condemned which is it it's of course both however the cutting off many times comes later and that is what Job is bringing to our attention that the wrath that God will give to those who do not know him and do not obey the gospel will be severe but possibly not now there is a picture of this and Second Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. It says, Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Job says, Oh, that day is coming. But he says, Not yet. Job's friends say, No, it is always now. And Job, you are being judged. So obviously, you must be wicked. And Job says, no, no, no. The final judgment is coming. Now, we, we can kind of bring this up to date in the New Testament. When we hear that God's displeasure is coming in the day of judgment, what are we supposed to do? Well, as I have stated previously, we are to flee to Christ. Scripture says we are to flee to him for refuge from the wrath that is coming. You know, and it's amazing. We've really gotten too nice or polite on one level to really deal with this issue of wrath being poured out on the wicked. But how are we to recover from this? We are to look at the cross. Because when we see the price that God put upon the head of his own son, Is it so we have an example and so that we have an occasion to celebrate Easter? No. It is because the price of our redemption was him bearing all of our wrath and all of our curse on his own body upon that cross, which means no one, no one is going to get away with anything. Because if God put that wrath upon his only son, the only people who are delivered from wrath are those who look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet if we reject Christ, as Paul said, who knows not God and obeys not the gospel, then that wrath will fall upon them. So look to the cross, child of God. Consider the evil of sin, all sin, every sin, my sin, your sin. And then consider the price that was paid for our redemption. So when we are tempted to think the wicked are going to get away with it, all of these private conspiracies, they're going to get away with it. Look to the cross. No one gets away with anything. Job saw this from a distance. Oh, beloved, we see it more clearly now because we see Jesus. And you know, there's a note of sobriety with which Christians should live. I don't see enough of this even in my own life, nor do I see it enough in the broader church. There is just a sobriety that should take hold of us. Do you think that there's a judgment day going? Do you know that you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ? Well, beloved, this is not a novel, and this is not some trilogy of science fiction. This is a fact. God raised his son from the dead, which is God's sign, that there is coming a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he crucified and raised from the dead his only son. Do you live with that sense? Now, that doesn't make us morose as Christians because we know Jesus has taken our judgment. But nor should that mean that we're just indifferent to it and say, well, you know, life will go on. I'll live my life. I'm forgiven. Whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to worry about it. No we're aware the king is on the throne and we must still stand before the judgment seat. You must. And beloved, I won't be there to help you. And you won't be there to help me. And your wife will not be there to help you, nor your husband and your parents won't be there to help you. We will all stand before the Lamb. And our only hope on that day is that we have believed in Him and confessed His name because we live in God's world. And in God's world, no one gets away with anything. Think on this, beloved. Read Second Peter 3. Go back and read 2 Thessalonians 1 and read 1 Corinthians 15. So much in the New Testament is written to encourage us to be sober and to be vigilant. Our lives are short. We're going to stand before Jesus Christ the Lord to give an account. So let us labor to be found in him. Let's not envy the wicked or choose any of his ways. Job concludes his answer to his friends in verses 22 through 34, and he makes one simple point. But remember how he began in verses 1 through 6. You should be astonished with me. Verses 7 through 15, listen. The wicked don't always get what they deserve in this life. And verses 16 through 21, the judgment is coming. Therefore, verses 22 through 34... We can't teach God how to govern the world. Notice he says there in verse 22, Shall any teach God knowledge? You know, it's good to just be reminded. Can can you imagine a kindergartner going to his little morning class and standing up and telling the teacher, I'm teaching class today. Now that begins to give us some idea, but it doesn't even touch the grandeur of this. Some of you may really like math. And let's say you wake up one morning and uh, there's a grasshopper on your desk and uh, that grasshopper says, I'm going to teach you your calculus lesson today. What? You're going to do what? Or let's say you see a small little dust mite floating around in your living room. And the dust mite looks at you and says, I'm going to tell you how to run your home. Now, these things are laughable. But this is very often what we do with the Lord when we think we're going to teach him how to do things like Job's three friends are doing here. Job says, seeing he judges those who are high, God knows all things. He judges all things. We are weak and we must stand in awe of him. And Job goes back and forth here. Verse 23 and says, there's somebody who dies in full strength. And he's probably speaking about the wicked. <clears throat> he is holy at ease and quiet. His belly is full. He has everything he could wish for. Another man dies, probably a godly man, with bitterness in his soul and never eats with pleasure. Well, this doesn't seem right to Job. But in verse 26, they're all going to lie down in the dust, and the worms will cover them. Every one is going to die. Everyone is going to stand before God to give an account. And that, beloved, is when all the wrongs, all the wrongs will be righted. So Job says, verse 27, I know your thoughts. I know what you're thinking against me. For you say, verse 28, now this is what Job's friends are saying to him, because Job is directly talking with them through this whole (coughs) uh, chapter. Where is the house of the wicked? This is his friends. Where is the house of these wicked princes? God always knocks them down. Job says, verse 29, Do you think you have experience on your side? Ask anyone who travels around and they'll show you where wicked men are living in great power and wealth and at ease. So you don't have experience on your side. Experience refutes your platitudes. Verse 30, because the wicked are reserved for judgment. He doesn't always receive it in this life, for he will be brought forth to the day of wrath. But he doesn't always receive it now, very often in this life.